The Bible teaches us that there is a blessing that comes with temptation that may sound funny, but the blessing is this. When you endure through temptation, when you take the way of escape, you are blessed. Remember, it's not a sin to be tempted. It's what you do with the temptation that really matters. And what you do with it is to take the way of escape and to ask God for help, and you will be blessed and you will become stronger. James will explore more about how to deal with temptation, not to make excuses, but to do things God's way. We'll look at that today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. James 1.12 says, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. May the Lord write his word upon our hearts. You may be seated. We're going to go through the book of James and on the next several Sunday mornings. And it is an incredible book. The theme verse of the book of James is found in James 1.22. If you want to peek ahead, it says, But prove yourselves, James 1.22, doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. People have said that James is from Missouri. He's from the show me state. He believes that if you are going to say that you have faith, then it should come out in your life. And a lot of the professing Christian church, I think especially in America, believes that if you fill out a medical form that says you're a Christian or you identify as a Christian, well, then that makes you a Christian. But that's not necessarily true. You need to be born again, of course, and you need to be born again from above. And then the fruits of the Holy Spirit will come out in your life. It's inevitable for every Christian that you are going to reflect who you belong to. You're going to do it imperfectly at times. We're all in a process of growth where we're born again to that living hope. And then we need to grow just like a baby's born and grows. But we need to grow nonetheless. And James, in the book of James, is going to give us a very practical look at what faith does. Or if you want the big picture or the big idea, it's about living out your faith. James doesn't spend a lot of time on how you get saved. You could look at Galatians and Romans for that. James is more talking about what it looks like on a horizontal plane once you are saved. How will men and women, boys and girls, whoever you interact with on a normal weekly basis, know that you're a Christian? Well, it'll be by how you live. There's just no other way around it. And so James is going to just be one punch after another. Four, excuse me, five chapters of uh, incredible power-packed rubber meets the road Christianity. So each week that you come in here, get your seatbelt on because you're going to need it. Because James does not pull any punches. Who is James? He is the half-brother of Jesus. When we did the first study in the book of James, we said it must have been tough for James to grow up with a perfect brother. How many of you had a perfect brother, perfect sister? Why can't you? I mean, th these are the parents that could say, why can't you be like your brother? And it would be totally true. What we do know about James is that James seems to have not believed in Jesus as his Messiah. You could imagine all the difficulties with that after until after the resurrection. One of the resurrection appearances 
in 1 Corinthians 15 was to James. And then James became the leader of the Jerusalem church. Very powerful man in terms of his faith. He was called old camel knees because of the amount of time that he prayed in the temple courts. He was known as James the Just. And he was a man who led the Jerusalem church and um, he describes himself as a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he became a servant of the Lord, but it took some time. Uh, some have said about James that he was a bit of a late bloomer. And some of you who are in this room came to faith later in your life. And you may be a late bloomer and you're trying to make up for lost time. Imagine, you know, James's thoughts on that. How many times he must have reflected on he could have believed earlier. He could have trusted earlier, but it but he had his challenges because it was his half-brother after all. So James, as he gets into the book, is talking to us about dealing with temptation. He's writing to a group of Jewish Christians who have been dispersed in what's called the diaspora because of uh, persecutions that happened to G uh, Jewish people, because of different things, uh, perhaps even famines and the like. And a lot of these people ended up poor, impoverished because of their faith in Jesus. It wasn't popular to believe in the Messiah necessarily. Being Jesus, sometimes you became an outcast. Sometimes you were disfellowshipped, kicked out of your family. And a lot of the, these people, when they had to leave Jerusalem or go out to other lands, were not treated very well. And so they found themselves in a very tough spot, maybe with very little money, trying to hold on to their faith and, and you know, going through a lot of persecution. And so James, right out of the gate, deals with this idea of trials. Uh, he says, consider it all joy, verse 2, chapter 1, brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result, verse 4, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. From time to time, I'll share the New Living Translation because I think it says it well. Here's how verses two through four read. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And James 1.12, the verse that we looked at, we read together as we were standing, it says, blessed is a man or a woman who perseveres under trial. The word blessed in Hebrew is esher. If you want to write it down, it would be E-S-H-A-R or A-S-H-A-R, pronounced esher. Blessedness, according to Vines, is a state of prosperity, as when a superior bestows favor upon you. In the Hebrew word picture, literally, the Hebrew word asher or blessed means fire on the head or the chief fire. Dr. Seekin says, the word means to lead straight, to bless, to be happy. Fire on the head can symbolize both the presence of God or facing the uncomfortable realities of life or both. So when we go through trials, we can feel like we have fire on our head. Sometimes in the modern way of putting it, we can say we are under the gun. I have so many stacks on my desk of paperwork. I have so much to do. I have so many pressures. Trials bring their own special fire in life. We feel like we're in the furnace, we might say. We feel like we're, you know, the heat has been turned up. And James knows that he's writing to a group of Christians who are in the fire. 
literally, many of them are poor. Uh, if you study some history on this, it seems like there was a very few people who were considered middle class back in the first century. You were either poor and you're probably going to stay poor or you were wealthy. There was very few people considered middle class. And if there was a middle class, it quickly diminished. And so these people were poor. They were struggling with their faith. They were dealing with persecution. And, and James addresses them and says, hey, I got something for you. Here's the upside down kingdom. Here's a paradox, if you will. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Can you imagine being a person, maybe you're somewhere in Syria or you're going through some difficulty. You get James's letter and you're like, yeah, right. What do you mean count it all joy? In freeway traffic, should I be singing? I've got joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Should I call my spouse? and say, man, I'm just so joyful on the 91. Should we, you know, we're working on a project in the backyard. We hit our finger with a hammer and say, oh, praise God. Boom, 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 as the blood is splurting. No, that's ridiculous. In fact, some people would say, if you do that, you've lost some marbles. James is not saying rejoice in the actual thing that's happening to you. He's more saying rejoice in the opportunity that trials bring. It does, it, the Bible's not saying you need to just sit there and giggle and laugh like those stupid cable commercials when someone sits on a, some gum or goes into a glass door or pops a soda can and it spills all over them or spills hot coffee on them and they're like... <laughs> No, 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 no. That's not what James is saying. That's silly. But James is saying, look a little deeper at the opportunity that the trials could bring. Trials ultimately become a training ground. If you're taking notes, trials become a training ground. They become an opportunity for growth like nothing else. When, you know, from a big picture standpoint, maybe some of you could really resonate with this. You know, when you, when, you, when you grow up, depending on how you grew up, but maybe more so in Southern California, I think our perception of life is that life should be a lot of smooth times with a couple of bumps in the road. How many of you have noticed that life is pretty much the opposite of that? Life is pretty much a lot of bumpy times with a few smooth times. That's what I'm discovering the more I get older. That's how life is. And so we have to get out of our minds that, you know, it's going to, I, I should be having smooth sailing this week. Uh, maybe not. Jesus said, in this world, here's a promise, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, what? I have overcome the world. And so the Bible says we need to anticipate trouble. The good times, we should celebrate them, no doubt, but we shouldn't be shocked when trials come our way. In fact, trials are a unique opportunity to grow. I'm not just saying that. That's what James said. And that's what really life has shown most of us, that we grow the most in the deepest tests of life. But again, if I had a vote, I would not vote for trials I don't pray for trials. Anybody that does that, if I'm holding hands in a prayer circle, I release their hand. I don't want any of that coming my way. I do not say the amen. Lord, do not let any of that spill over to me. Hey, 
Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't pray for trials, okay? But inevitably, they're going Hey, listening family, if you're new to Walk in Truth, my name is Michael Lance. I'm the senior pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona in Southern California. Hey, recently I've written a book called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It shows you how to put on what God has provided so that you can stand strong in the spiritual battle and stand strong against temptation with the resources that God provides. This book is available at the store at walkintruth.com. Go to walkintruth.com, click on the store, click on the book. I'll get you a signed copy and your donation will help support Walk in Truth and help us reach out to more people. Again, the book is Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God, available at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Life is pretty much A lot of bumpy times with a few smooth times. That's what I'm discovering the more I get older. That's how life is. And so we have to get out of our minds that, you know, it's going to, I should be having smooth sailing this week. Uh, Maybe not. Jesus said, in this world, here's a promise, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, what? I have overcome the world. And so the Bible says we need to anticipate trouble. The good times, we should celebrate them, no doubt, but we shouldn't be shocked when trials come our way. In fact, trials are a unique opportunity to grow. I'm not just saying that. That's what James said. And that's what really life has shown most of us, that we grow the most in the deepest tests of life. But again, if I had a vote, I would not vote for trials I don't pray for trials. Anybody that does that, if I'm holding hands in a prayer circle, I release their hand. I don't want any of that coming my way. I do not say the amen. Lord, do not let any of that spill over to me. Hey, each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't pray for trials, okay? But inevitably, they're going to come your way. And so when they come, the question is, how can you and I handle them better? They are going to come. You can take it to the bank. So what should you do when they come? How can you, in fact, experience a blessing when there's fire on your head, when things are tough, when life is hard? How can we consider it all joy? As we did the first message in this uh, study in the book of James, I said we need to really reassess or recalculate how we think of trials. Instead of thinking trials, of trials so negatively, we need to take a biblical worldview on trials. Not that we rejoice in the actual thing that's happening to us, but we rejoice at the opportunity that they bring. And so we might say something like this, Lord, I don't like what's happening to me, or I don't like what's happening to my loved one right now, but I know that you can take this trial and use it in my life to grow me deeper, to teach me perseverance, to let me comfort others with the comfort with which I'm comforted by God. So give me wisdom. And the next section is what uh, James says to do next. He says, look, verse five, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. When you are going through a trial, it's a unique opportunity to seek God's wisdom. And God, verse five, will give to you. He gives to all men generously. God is generous. He won't reproach you if you ask him. And you'll get the wisdom that you need. 
There is a qualifier, though, and many of you have read this before, that when you ask God, you need to ask in faith. And James says, when you ask God, you can't be a double-minded or double-souled, literally, person who blows with the wind, and you haven't even decided if you want to be a Christian. You're, you're literally a fence-sitter, and you blow with the wind. And James says, if you're that kind of person, don't expect that you'll receive anything from the Lord, and the context is wisdom, because you're not really looking for wisdom in, as it relates to the kingdom of God. You're probably looking more for a way out or God to be your emergency button in the tough time. And then you'll say, see you later, God, once he fixes it. That's not what God wants. God actually wants the wisdom that you ask for to be biblical wisdom that you go deeper in your roots with God. He wants it to be relational, not just emergency prayers and then see you later, God, because then you're a double-minded person. You haven't decided who you're going to follow. And I would imagine that this group of early believers, the early Christians were Jewish on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people came to the Lord. They were, some of them were probably tempted to give up. Some of them were probably saying, look, life would be much easier if I never made a public confession of faith in Jesus as Messiah. And there are people in other cultures today that could say the same. My life would be probably smoother with my family, my circumstances, my business, my ability to make money had I not made a profession of faith in Christ. In the United States, it's a little different. But in some countries, to make a profession of faith, you risk everything. And it really tests if you really want to follow Christ, if you really want to serve him as your king and your Lord. So here we have now this idea of wisdom. Living out what we know about God, his word, his will, and his ways. Some people have said the book of James is the New Testament book of Proverbs. James is really saying if you want to be wise, wisdom has been defined as the application of what? Knowledge. Wisdom is to know God, his will, and his ways, and do it. That's what James is about. So James says, if you want that kind of wisdom, if you actually want to know how you can go deeper with God to live out your faith, to be a doer of the word and not merely a hearer who deludes yourself, then tune in and God will give it to you and he'll be generous. He'll pour out the wisdom that you need in your circumstances. James gives an example. He says, verse 9, but let the brother of humble circumstances, that would be considered a poor person, the lowly brother, ESV, believers who are poor, New Living Translation, glory in his high position. James 2.5, flip over there for a second. James 2.5 says, listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith? 2.5, and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him. James addresses this poor group of people. And he says, look, going back to the earlier verses, verse four, especially, or verse, uh, excuse me, two and two through four, considering it all joy. Now he addresses a specific case, the brother of humble circumstances, verse nine, the lowly brother, the, the poor person, which probably was the bulk of these believers. And some of them may have been wealthy and lost their land, as the book of Hebrews talks about, their estates, their wealth, because of their decision to follow Christ. So they may have gone from rich to poor. And when you are poor, you're in a tough spot. 
just trying to scrap for a daily meal, just trying to pay the next bill. Uh, many of you can relate to that. And, and, and of course, you know, in America, we're, even if we're not doing great, if we have change in a jar somewhere, if we have money somewhere in the bank, we're in the top 5% of worldly wealth in the entire world. If you have change in, a, in something, you have a little piggy bank, you have some money somewhere, you're in the top 5% of worldly wealth. So I think for Americans, it may be even harder for us to understand the daily plight. Some of you may understand this more than others, but here's what James is saying. He's saying, look, if you're poor, glory, end of verse 9, in your high position, God honors the poor because they are in a unique position. Think of the context and the flow of the verses. To depend upon God because they're, the poor are really in a daily trial. Amen? They don't know where the next meal's coming from. So they're especially in a position, call it in a daily test, to trust God for their daily bread. The poor man is actually in an exalted position in the upside-down kingdom, in the paradoxical world of the Bible, if you will, because now the poor man has to rely upon God for his daily sustenance. Every day he's training. So you may have met someone over the years who has learned to rely upon God for every little thing that you don't necessarily have to, and they're probably one of the more mature believers you're ever going to meet because they have learned to trust God. And a lot of us who are Americans, I'm not putting us down, we're in a very privileged position, but we don't have to trust God. We can get in our car and go to Del Taco. We can, we can think about where do we want to eat? What are we going to wear? Do you want to go shopping tonight? We're not in that position necessarily to pray for our next meal with nothing in the cupboard, but the poor man is. And so James, remember, he's coming at it from a different perspective than the world is saying, hey, rejoice in that. Because that puts you in a unique position to rely upon God and to go deeper with Him. So consider that all joy. I know it's not the way we normally think. In Luke 6, 20 and 21, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And so many times in the Bible, God talks about his heart for the poor, to leave the edges of the field for the poor, to make sure that you're taking care of the orphan and the widow, because that's God's heart. And when we do things like that, when we help Royal Family Kids Camp, when we, may, some of you have adopted children, and you do things like that, you, you take a moment to help somebody, that's God's wisdom. That's the upside down kingdom that you serve. You want to write down 1 Samuel 2, verses 2 through 8 in Hannah's song and also in Mary's Magnificat in the book of Luke. They both celebrate God's love for the poor and how God has magnified the poor and the rich are in contrast. The Lord makes the poor and rich. He brings low and he also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust, says Hannah in her beautiful song. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. Now, verse 10, it, it's been debated. Some think verse 10 is about unbelieving wealthy people. Some believe it's about believing rich people. Um, the, the congregation could have had both, but let's, let's take a look at verse 10. It says, And let the rich man glory in his humiliation. Let him glory that God has humbled him, because like flowering grass, he will pass away. Now, the rich man's tendency would be to depend on his wealth. 
because he has everything he needs. Remember the, the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. What must I do to inherit e eternal life? Good teacher. And in the dialogue, Jesus says, go and sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor. Come and follow me and you'll have treasures in heaven. Do you remember what the rich young ruler did? His face fell and he walked away sorrowfully because he had many possessions. And then Jesus said, how difficult it is for what? A rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, my wife sews and she's a wonderful artist and she can sew and she does incredible things and she has great patience with little things. Have you ever, any of you tried to thread a needle with, with just, it's like, I, I'm not good at it. I confess it. I don't have the patience and usually I start to get the shakes when I'm, I don't know why, but I'm trying to get that. Can you imagine trying to stuff a camel through the eye of a needle? That, that sounds pretty hard. And by the way, I don't even want to touch a camel, let alone try to push them through the eye of a needle. Right? They'll spit at you. They're not clean animals. Anyway. And then the disciples said, because they had a view on wealth, that the wealthy were blessed by God. Who then can be saved? And Jesus said, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. I have, uh, over the years, I've had some people who were successful and then they, they hit some rough times. They were wealthy, well-to-do, and then something happened and they lost some of their worldly wealth. And they would honestly tell you, I think if they were up here, that God did a work during that season that they, they couldn't see. Now, these, were, these would be, this category I'm talking about would be a follower of Christ who's very wealthy and then maybe lost some of that or something happened and they were in a unique position to take a look at what they were really trusting in. The wealthy man, if he's humbled by God, if she's humbled by God, a wealthy woman, has a unique opportunity to glory in that humbling. And sometimes that's what God does. One by one, says one writer, God took them from me, all things I valued most, till I was empty-handed, every glittering toy was lost. And I walked earth's highway, grieving in my rags and poverty, until I heard his voice inviting, lift those empty hands to me. And I turned my hands toward heaven, and he filled them with a store of his own transcendent riches, till they could contain no more. And at last I comprehended with my stupid mind and dull that God could not pour his riches into hands already full. Hey, listening family, if you're new to Walk in Truth, my name is Michael Lance. I'm the senior pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona in Southern California. Hey, recently I've written a book called Suit Up, putting on the full armor of God. It shows you how to put on what God has provided so that you can stand strong in the spiritual battle and stand strong against temptation with the resources that God provides. This book is available at the store at walkintruth.com. Go to walkintruth.com, click on the store, click on the book. I'll get you a signed copy and your donation will help support Walk in Truth and help us reach out to more people. Again, the book is Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God, available at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. 
Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.